experiencing the fullness of his glory. And uh, so I just want to walk through this story with you this morning. It's found, in, again, in Luke chapter 9. If you aren't there and you want to be there, you can follow along. What I'd like to do sometimes is just walk through a passage, almost as if I'm taking you on a tour, and I'm a tour guide, and I'm just pointing things out on the right and on the left, okay? And I just want to make some observations as we walk through it. And then I want to look at the implications of what those observations are this morning, and I'm just going to choose a few of them, and then I want to give some application, some practical application to our life, okay? So we're going to do some observation, look at the implications, and then apply some applications to our life. All right, does that sound good? Uh, good. Are you with me? Are you awake this morning? Hallelujah. Amen. If God can raise the dead, he can wake us up on Sunday morning. Praise Jesus. So I want to look at this passage, and again, Jennifer read what had happened just before this. It's all set in context. The whole chapter of Luke 9 is amazing. I encourage you to read it. But it says that Jesus made this statement, this teaching about seeing his glory, about uh, denying ourselves, taking up our cross. Jesus has been talking about his mission, which includes going to the cross and dying. And of course, nobody that followed him really understood that at the time. Then we come to this story. It says, and I just want to, in the first verse, there's like three powerful things, all right? So let's just dive into this together. About eight days after Jesus said this. What is the significance of eight days? Well, you'll remember that many of the stories in the Gospels are found maybe in multiple Gospels. So this particular story is also found in the book of Matthew and the book of Mark. Now Matthew and Mark say that it was, it was after the sixth day that Jesus said these things, all right? And then Luke is being less specific. He says about eight days, right? So it's sometime between the sixth day and the eighth day. So we actually have a period of time, right? Angel and I were talking about this this week. What is the significance of eight? Well, I'm going to add a couple layers to you. The significance of six and of seven. Because it was after the sixth day and it was about the eighth day. And you need to understand that that is signaling something powerful that's about to happen. Because it reminds, especially the Jewish reader, of the rhythm of creation. The most foundational story that they learned from the time they were youngest was how God created the earth in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. So six days is the day of completion, the day when the work is done, right? It is also the day he created mankind. So it is the day of humans, right? And it's about the human side of things. And then the seventh day is the day that God rested, right? That God rested and enjoyed everything that he had created. And then the eighth day, right? The eighth day is the first day of the new week, the first day of the new creation. So that when the priests were consecrating themselves for the first time under the directions of Moses, it says on the eighth day they began to do a new work that God was doing. Hallelujah. Do you see the importance of the timing? Something has been completed, right? The time has been completed. There is a resting period, a period of worship and prayer. And then the eighth day, about the time, Luke says, we're about ready to start something new. Friends, could you see in the story that Jesus is transitioning as he's being transfigured and about to embark on something completely? completely brand new. It says that he took Peter, James, and John. He took three of the disciples. Why did he take them? Why did he take Peter, James, and John? There's multiple reasons that we could think about, right? Why would you take some of your young people with you and not other people, right? Well, sometimes it's because those are the leaders, right? And the ones you've chosen, the ones you think have potential to be there. And I think that's definitely part of this. Although the human side of me thinks, Sometimes I pick the people that I needed to keep an eye on to be closest with me, right? So I'm not going to, I'm just saying, let's keep it real, right? Maybe there's some of the other disciples he could trust, but Peter, James, and John, he needed to keep a little bit of eye on so things didn't, you know what I'm talking about? But also combined with that, they had a desire to go. And I think that's true of all of us, that when God calls us to these higher places, these greater revelations further down the road, it's always a combination of his call upon our lives and our desire to respond to that. 
It's both, friends. They, he, they were called to be the leaders, to represent the apostles. You see, the age of the apostles is coming, and Jesus wants to prepare them for that through their leadership. They were chosen, and they were willing. And they went up on a mountain to pray. There's the third thing right in the first verse, amen? They went up on a mountain to pray. And when they got up there on the mountain, Jesus took them up there. Jesus often went to the mountains to pray. Jesus, the mountains were important to him. Many spiritual things happened on the mountains in the Bible. It was a place where people met with God. In fact, Moses had a mountaintop experience with God, did he not, when he received the law. Elijah had a mountaintop experience when he was hiding in the cave, and the voice of the Lord came to him as a gentle whisper. You see, Jesus often went to the mountain, and, and I'm telling you, when you're on the mountain, it's a glorious sight if you've ever been there, if you've ever wanted to climb to the highest spot. When I was a little kid, I was growing up in Colorado, which has the most beautiful mountains, I'm sorry, in the entire United States. And I would always, no matter what park or, or place I was in, I wanted to get up to the highest spot, right? There's something in me wanted to get up and just see what it looked like from up there. And you got to understand that God sometimes wants to elevate our vision. And the mountaintop represents getting a view from above, right? Being able to see things. You get perspective, right? Things that were once big when you're down on the ground, they become somehow smaller, but also they get set in the context of what they are. Have you ever been on a mountain? Anybody ever been on a mountain? Think about in your mind right now the highest place you've ever been. Just you can probably remember what it looks like. You can probably remember the feeling that you had. And to me, God always came to me in that moment because I thought, wow, this world is so big, so much bigger than me. And, and the universe is so much bigger than me. And there must be a God that creates this wonderful expanse that's so far beyond even my understanding and comprehension. Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. And it's as he was praying that his appearance was changed, that he was changed, that he was transformed by the glory of God. Friends, do we want transformation in our lives? I want to take you on that journey today because I hope that you all do. But if we're honest, we don't always want it. And if we do want it, we're not willing to do what it takes to get there. Even Jesus himself, right? Before he was released this glory that was in him, what did he do? He prayed. If Jesus himself had to get away and pray, friends, then what do we need to do? What do all of us Peters and all of us Johns and all of us Janes and all of us James and all of us Sheilas and everybody, what are we going to do, right? We need to follow the example. He prayed. His appearance was changed. He was transformed. It reminds us of Moses. Remember when Moses was on the mountain? Do you remember that, Tracy? And the, the glory of God came on Moses, and it says he was shining so bright his face that they had to cover it. People were like, dude, you're too bright. you got to cover that up. But with Jesus, it's different because the glory is coming from the inside out. See, Moses was affected by the glory and then reflecting it back. Jesus' glory is like a light that glows from the inside that changes not only his face, but his very clothes. Oh, can you imagine? Everything becomes white. Kind of reminds me of that vision we talked about of Jesus a few weeks ago in Revelation, right? Where John sees him and his hair is as white as wool and his eyes are blazing like fire. I mean, the glory of the Lord is being released in Jesus and it's just shining out for everyone to see. And then two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor themselves, talking with Jesus. Friends, can you imagine what this was like? I mean, this is amazing. And of course, you know, they didn't have photography back then. So how did they know that it was Moses and Elijah? Well, either it was spiritual revelation or they were talking together. They were speaking about Jesus' departure, which means literally his exodus. So as they were talking, they probably realized, hey, this is Moses and this is Elijah. Because those two were very important figures, very powerful men of God, were they not? Some of, some of the, the most powerful men that ever lived 
And Moses represents the law of God, the written word of God that was given at Mount Sinai. And Elijah represents the spoken word of God, the prophets who would speak what God told them to speak. So you have the law and the prophets that the Jews held in highest esteem. And Moses and Elijah are representative of all the law and all the prophets. In other words, something is coming to its conclusion the sixth day, right? And Jesus is there as the presence of God, his rest, the seventh day, because something new, the eighth day, is about to happen, right? Jesus is in conversation with Moses and Elijah. And I love that Luke chose to use the word for departure as his exodus. Do you catch that? Jesus is talking with Moses about his exodus. I mean, just imagine that conversation, right? That's like Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan sitting down to talk about championships, right? I mean, they each have this incredible experience that they bring. Moses, of course, that was the exodus, right? Moses was the one who led God's people out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea and went into the wilderness, right? And Jesus is coming along and he's like, Moses, I want to talk to you about my exodus. Can you imagine that conversation? For Jesus' exodus, and using that word reminds us, Jesus was coming to set all people free from sin and from death. Can I get an amen? Is there a hallelujah for that this morning? I mean, he is talking about his exodus, what's going to happen to him, what's coming up. So he's in conversation with Moses and Elijah. They're all in their glorious splendor. And then Peter and his companions were very sleepy. Oh, can I get an amen? People that don't believe the Bible's true, you just got to read it, man, because you know what that feels like, right? You know what that feels like. I'm getting some amens, man. Some of you come in here sleepy. I see you at 1030, 1045. I see you coming in. I come in sleepy too, right? I am not a morning person. Hallelujah. I, you know, but, but it, either it was at night and they were sleepy or it was early in the morning, right? I mean, it could have been any time they were sleeping, but some people think it was at night, right, because they get sleepy. But how many of you get sleepy in the afternoon? Can I get an amen? I mean, I'm thinking maybe they just had the big lunch. They're going up there, you know, and Jesus is praying. And you know how it is sometimes when somebody's praying, you just kind of like fall asleep. They were sleepy for some reason. But many people think it was at night because Jesus liked to go off at night or early in the morning before anybody got up. um, And he would pray. So they were sleepy. But look at this. Look at this. They were sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. Hallelujah. Is that a sermon not in and of itself right there? They were very sleepy, but when they came awake, they saw his glory. Fully awake, not just kind of awake, not just rubbing the eyes. Boom, when they're fully awake, then you can see clearly, right? Then you know what's going on. Friends, do you believe that we live in a time and age where a lot of people are sleepy spiritually? You know what I'm talking about? Is there a drowsiness? Is there kind of a fog that sometimes we feel like we're walking around in? And doesn't the Bible say sometimes it's time to wake up? Wake up, O sleeper. Wake up. The time is coming. Let the light. Turn on the lights. Wake up. Let's get into the glory of God. Hallelujah. And they wake up and they see Jesus shining like a supernova. And they see Moses and Elijah. Can you imagine seeing this on top of the mountain? Oh, friends, this was like... The ultimate, ultimate Mount Rushmore, something like that. I don't know. But as the men were were talking, as they were leaving, Jesus, Peter said to them, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you. He didn't know what he was saying. What was Peter doing? Well, first of all, you got to give him some grace, right? I would have no idea what to do in that situation, in that full glory. But he recognizes, right? These are people that are honored, right? And, And he wants to honor them by building three shelters, Again, the literal word is tabernacle. Think about that for a minute. He wants to build three tabernacles for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. He wants to honor all three. 
Although if they're already in glorified splendor, I'm sure they don't need no tabernacle, no temple, no shelter, no booth, right? I'm sure they're in a better dwelling than that, right? And the presence of Jesus is right there with them, right, God? And, and where is the presence of Jesus going to be housed in the future, right? It's going to be housed in us, right? Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. The body of Christ becomes the dwelling place of God. I mean, Peter should have been more concerned about getting himself ready than trying to set up some structure to try to possibly house or in, in any way shape or define the glory that cannot be defined, that cannot be held in, that cannot be shaken. I mean, he didn't know what he was saying. And, and, and also, he was equating the three of them together. So God quickly moves in. And he says, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. This is the cloud of God's glory. This is the Shekinah glory. You read about it all throughout the New Testament. It was the presence of God that guided the people of Israel by day and became a pillar of fire at night. It's the cloud of presence that Moses found himself in on Mount Sinai. It's the cloud, I believe, that surrounded Elijah when he went up to heaven. Remember, Elijah didn't die. Chariots of fire came down and picked him up, and there was a whirlwind or a cloud of glory that surrounded him, right? And he went straight up to be with God, right? And Moses, do you know this? Moses even died on a mountain. How many of you know that story? That's one we don't hear very often. But God took Moses up on a mountain to show him the promised land. He said, I want, you get to see it, but you don't get to go into it. That's not for you. And then Moses died on that mountain. It was just him and the Lord. And the Bible says he buried him. Well, who's the he? Who's up there with him? The Lord. So when Moses died, God himself buried him. And it says that his grave is hidden to this day. No one knows where. Moses is buried. In fact, in Jude, there's a little story that says that Archangel Michael was arguing with Satan over the body of Moses. I mean, it was hidden. Elijah didn't even die. He just went straight up into heaven, right? These are two people that people are tempted to worship, that are tempted to give honor to for good reason. But you see what's about to happen is a cloud covers them. They enter the cloud of glory. So now we're going to go into the presence of God, and God's going to reveal something. And a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. It's the second time in Luke that there's a divine voice that comes from heaven about Jesus. The first is at his baptism, where the voice says, this is my son, right, whom I love. And then the second time, this is my son whom I've chosen. So we see that Jesus is both loved and chosen uniquely by God. And then the instruction, listen to him. You've been listening to Moses, the law, and Elijah, the prophets, for all of your life, and all of your ancestors have. But now my son is here. My son, whom I love, whom I've chosen, listen to him. Friends, the voice of God comes to us across the pages and across the ages and says the same exact thing to us today. Jesus Christ is God's son whom he loves and has chosen to be the savior of the world. Will you listen to him and to him alone? For when the cloud had departed and left, they found that Jesus was alone. So let that sit there for a minute. When the cloud of glory leaves, Jesus is alone. It wasn't Jesus and. It wasn't Jesus as one of equals. It was Jesus alone. The glory of God, the presence of God, the Son of God, the one chosen, the one loved by God, the one Savior and light of the entire world. That's my king. Do you see why we had that this morning? That's my king. That's my king. He's unique. 
He's unique in all the world. He's the only one. And the disciples kept this to themselves and didn't tell anyone at the time what they'd seen. Friends, it's okay to be silent sometimes. It's okay to be afraid. They were afraid for a moment, right? It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to not know what to say. I don't think they understood this until after Jesus' resurrection, until the Holy Spirit was given to them to help them understand what was going on. I think it was too much for them at the time. Listen, God is working in your life, but you're not always going to understand everything about it, right? You just need to pay attention. You need to receive it, right? And sometimes you got to hold on to it for a minute before you get revelation to understand it, or you just carry it with him. I also think Peter done learned his lesson, right? He's always speaking up too soon, and he spoke up too soon, and then he was kind of silenced by God and said, this is my son, listen to him. What are you doing trying to build three tabernacles for Moses and Elijah as well? So I think maybe Peter was like, okay, maybe this time I'm not going to say anything, amen? We all know that wisdom, right? I've learned that the hard way in my life, right? Sometimes I'm only silent after I've spoken too soon, right? But when God speaks, what is the proper response? To be silent. And guess what? It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be confused. It's okay to not fully understand. And you can even come in sleepy, amen? You can come in to sleepy, right? But there's going to come a point where you're fully awake and you're going to see the glory of God. So, friends, what are the implications of this for us today? I just want to look at three, and I just want to start at the end and work backwards a little bit. The first one is this. It's only Jesus, solo Jesus. It's only Jesus. There's no one else. I mean, it's so clear that that's what this story, this experience is trying to teach us, right? That it's so easy to honor other people, even godly men and women, right? And, and that's good. They're anointed. But Jesus is the point of it all. Jesus is the one that brings everything together. Let me try to break this down for just a minute as I talk about Moses and Elijah and what they represent. Moses represents the written word of God, and Elijah represents the spoken word of God. And we're a little uncomfortable saying, which is greater, those or Jesus? Well, what's greater, the Bible or Jesus? It's hard to answer that, isn't it? Because Jesus is the word of God. And we call the Bible the word of God. What I'm saying is that Jesus is in conversation with Moses, the word of God. In other words, he's bringing the Old Testament to completion, and he's about to launch into something new, the kingdom of God era. But it's in conversation and connection with everything that God has said, right? So what Jesus does is he reveals the word of God to us. The Bible points us to God. It point, that's the point, right? The point is Jesus and being in his presence and feeling the glory of God. The Bible helps us get there. The spoken word of God, right? Preaching, teaching, whatever. That should all point us to Jesus, right? Because Jesus should bring unity to it all, right? But sometimes it's like we can read the scriptures and we can miss Jesus. You know how I know this? Because Jesus himself said it. <laughs> He went to the Pharisees in John and he said, listen, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that by them you have life, but they speak about me. I'm the point. I'm the life. <laughs> I'm the one the scriptures are pointing to. So don't be all proud that you know the Bible so well if it's not pointing you to me because I'm the point of the Bible. And friends, don't get caught up in anybody's teaching or preaching that, that is wonderful or spectacular or whatever if it's not pointing you to Jesus Christ. And to his presence, right? Moses and Elijah knew that. They had no problem. They didn't want to be worshipped. They were talking with Jesus. They were pointing to Jesus. And Jesus is revealed as the one and only. Friends, it's only Jesus. That's what the scripture teaches. That's what I believe. That's what I believe Jesus claimed about himself and taught. People like to say, oh, there's many different paths to get to God. There's many different ways to get to God. And I believe God is everywhere. And I believe God has revealed himself everywhere. 
But I believe that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. I am the truth and the life. And no one comes to God except through me. So while Jesus is the only way to God, there are many paths to Jesus. There are many. Because I believe that everyone truly seeking God will find Jesus Christ. Amen? I believe that Jesus Christ will reveal himself to them. So I believe that there are many paths and many ways to find Jesus. But eventually, if you're seeking God, Jesus is going to come to you because Jesus is the revelation of God. He's the chosen and loved son. He's the one that God designated to bring us the knowledge of God. There are other ways, but Jesus is the way. Any other truth that we find, it may be truth, but it's going to align with and connect with Jesus. Friends, do you understand what I'm saying this morning? Jesus is the center because Jesus Christ brings unity to all of God's ways, all of God's truth, and all of God's life. Does that make sense? Jesus Christ brings it together. He unifies it. He's the one that, that, that we need to focus on. And, and that's what I, what I want to get to as well, okay? Um, second point. So it's only Jesus. Jesus is loved and chosen. Oh, friends, <laughs> hang on to your hat for a minute, all right? Oh, good, I got plenty of time. Hang on to your hat. This is really, this was so cool to me. Loved and chosen. I'm thinking about what the voice said, the voice of God. This is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. And it reminds us of the other time he said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So, right, so Jesus is loved and chosen, right? And Jesus is full of the glory of God, right? How many of you know Romans 8.28? So many know that verse, Romans 8.28. For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. He's been called according to his purpose, right? We know that. All things work together for the good. We love Romans 8.28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. who have been called according to his purpose. But do you know verse 29? Listen to verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Do you understand that the calling upon your life is to be conformed to the image of Jesus? And that image, the glory of Jesus, the glorified splendor, that's your destiny. Because Jesus is supposed to be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Because of Jesus, we now have access into that glory, into that presence of God. Amen? We also can be filled with the glory of God. Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters because those he knew he chose for you to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Friends, you are going to look more and more like Jesus as your life goes along. If you're listening and obeying to this word, you are called. I believe you are called because you are here this morning like Peter, James, and John. But do you have the desire? Do you have the willingness to go up to the mountain and spend time with Jesus? Do you have that ability to obey him, to listen to him, to put aside all others and focus yourself only on Jesus Christ? Friends, listen to your future. Listen to what's promised for you. Romans 8 verse 30, for those God predestined he also called those he called he also justified those he justified he also glorified glorified glory is your destiny you are glorious this morning you are glorious you are you know I, I believed back in the day that one direction were prophets and they didn't know it you don't know how beautiful you are they used to sing right and I think you don't know how loved and chosen you are by God you don't know how the glory that God wants to put in your life, the glory that God wants to shine through your life, amen? For those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified to be like 
the image of Christ glowing on that mountaintop. For Christ is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Then you can believe that God is working all things in your life for the good of those you who've been called and respond to that call according to the purposes of God. Friends, every week I plead with you, respond to the call of God upon your life. Respond to the call of God upon your life. And that brings me to my last and final point this morning before we look at some application. We need to go up. For me, this story, if I look at Peter, James, and John, and I see myself and those disciples that want to follow Jesus, what do they do? You got to go up, you got to show up and go up. <laughs> That's what I say. You got to show up and you got to go up, right? You got to put yourself in the, pre- in the position in the presence of God where you can listen to him, right? And then you got to go up. You got to go up on the mountain. You got to find your mountain. I don't know where it is. It might be a literal mountain. That's not as important as going somewhere to spend time with God in prayer. There's just no substitute. There's just no other way to do it. It's how we focus on God. It's how God reveals himself to us. It's how we're transformed by the glory and the power of God. You got to spend some time in prayer and you got to listen to the words of Jesus, right? You got to do what God says. You got to listen to his words and you've got to spend some time in prayer. Friends, I believe that this will transform us. It will transform our church. It will transform everyone around us. And man, we, we want transformation. We need to spend time in prayer. And listening to the words of Jesus. Do you remember the words of Jesus? Again, they're found in red in your Bibles. Amen? They make it easy for you to find. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Have it in abundance. Come to me, all who are worn out and weighed down. I will give you rest. Whatever you do for the least of the brothers and sisters of mine, when you meet the needs of the most vulnerable, you do it unto me. Jesus said, you're ministering to me. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever whoever believes in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. Friends, is is that not a life-transforming truth? Truth. And I'm going to be honest with you. There are days... When I don't believe it 100%, I'm going to be honest. Because life is real. And if we honestly look at life, we know there's a lot of sadness and pain and discouragement, right? And I've got, sometimes i got to look at myself, right? i got to say, do I believe Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do I really believe that? Do I really believe it? And i got to listen to Jesus. And in prayer, I have to connect to his presence that reminds me that yes, yes, he says to me, Philip, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I came to seek and to save all who are lost. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I've come for those who need it the most. That's what Jesus said. Listen to the words of Jesus. Listen to him. Focus on him. By finding your mountain. By going up to pray. And what I want to challenge you to do for the rest of this month, friends, the rest of January, my challenge is that you would listen to the words of Jesus, and that you would pray. Amen? So here's what I want to do. If I could get um, a couple of people to hand these out. I got some handouts today. And I'm going to give you these. And then we're going to spend some time in meditation on these. Thank you, Anthony. Appreciate it.
What I've given you is a verse from Isaiah about going up to the mountain to meet with God. And then I've given you three ancient prayers. Prayers that people have prayed for centuries, if not thousands of years, right? As a way that you can just meditate and focus on the presence of God and the presence of Christ in your life. So my challenge for this year, for 2020, is that everyone read through the Gospels, okay? So here's my specific way I want you to do it. Um, Mark. Mark has 16 chapters. There's about 16 days or so, a little more, left in January, right? So I'd like you to start tomorrow and read one chapter of Mark every day for January, okay? And then guess what? Matthew has 28 chapters. And how many days are in February? 29. Some of you caught me, right? We got a leap year. So guess what? You got an extra day. So you can miss a day in February. But read a chapter out of Matthew every day in February, 28 days. Read a chapter starting tomorrow in Mark, 16 days to the rest, all right? And listen to the words of Jesus and watch the way that he lived his life, amen? And that's my challenge to you, that we all do this together as a church, amen? That we read the gospel of Mark for the rest of January, and then we start on Matthew. And that we pray one of these prayers, one of these prayers. St. Patrick, you all know about St. Patrick, right? He had a great prayer about the presence of Christ surrounding him. I, I have that on the sheet there for you. The Sarum Priner. Primer is a prayer that Donna just shared with me a couple months ago. And this prayer, um, Donna and I have been praying, you've probably prayed it hundreds of times, even more, thousands. Yeah, and when she gave me a book on it, I started praying it every day, like four to five times a day back in October. I'm telling you, man, it gets you in the presence of God to pray. And, and, and I, I, if we pray the same prayers, I believe God's going to transform us. And then I put another one on there as well, just to give you some options to give you some things that you can do. But I'd like you to do this, friends, every day. Every day. To pray and to read. So a chapter of the gospel every day and a prayer every day. It can be the morning, the noon, or the night, whatever works for you. <coughs> Amen. Just I want us to look together at, at this uh, passage from Isaiah. And I chose it because it talks about going to the mountain, about the presence of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 2, 1 through 5. This is what Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. Amen. Christ above all. It will be exalted above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. All the nations. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. And the law will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations and he will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation and they will train for war no more. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. 2020, the year of perfect vision. If we want to walk in the light of the Lord, we need to go up to the mountain of God. When we go up to the mountain of God, what do we find? Jesus Christ. And, G and when the glory of God surrounds us like that cloud and we enter into it, everything else fades away. And it's only Jesus. When I was a kid, we used to sing this song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, right? And I won't embarrass my family or anybody else if I try to sing it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. Anybody know that? And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Hallelujah, is that not the truth right there? That when we look at Jesus, that things don't seem, things fade. The things that bother us, the things that scare us, the things we're worried about, they fade. But I want to flip it a little bit 
And then we actually see things more clearly. Once we have that vision, I can actually look back. Once things have faded, I can look back and I can begin to see what's going on in the world more clearly. Because I see through the eyes of Jesus Christ. I see after I've spent time in prayer, after I've listened to his voice. All right, have I said it enough this morning? I think so. Just in case somebody missed it. I want us to listen to Jesus by reading the gospel and reading his words. And I want us to spend time in prayer so that we can be transformed by the glory of God in our lives. Amen? So let me give you a couple minutes in prayer, if you would. And I encourage you just to read through this, to look through these prayers, and to just spend some time right now. Because I believe that we can even enter into the presence of God, even in this moment.